This is your host, Brad. Uh, joining us again today, uh, been with us on a few different episodes, is Bill. Hello. And over at the controls is producer Devin. Slightly peeved. You should have done. You should have seen what Brad did to all these chords. They're so fucked up. And as I reminded him, that's why I pay him the big bucks. The producer's got to have some things to do. So he's, yeah. uh, I'd hate to see who isn't paid the big bucks and how they're surviving. <laughs> today we're going to tackle a little bit of a uh, current events topic that uh, has been in the news. That's the one we'll wrap up with at the at the end of today's podcast. We're going to look back a little historically at the events that uh, have occurred over time and different instances of, uh, you know, police brutality cases. These these sort of became, I mean, there's a history of police brutality that goes way, 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 way back, and there's a lot of uh, documented evidence about how police, police forces came to be. Their original uh, design was uh, all the way back into slave days was enforcing uh, the rules around slavery. Yeah, and mostly in the South. I mean, unfortunately, they started as slave catchers and hunting down slave fugitives. From there, they kind of evolved into protecting business interests, um, especially like with a lot of the strikes and riots that happened during the Industrial Revolution here in America. You know, they'd break those up. They'd kill a lot of the strikers, a lot of things to instill fear um, on the corporation's behalf. Um, and that's honestly like our first sign of modern-day policing and how it evolved from that. Now, some can argue that they are there just to strike fear into other people and argue their effectiveness, but obviously it's not strictly that anymore. You know, they are supposed to have uh, the their their main function is supposed to be to protect and serve, and that is of their citizens. But their history and what they evolved out of is kind of indicative of what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, the first case we're going to look at, take a look at, is the Rodney King uh, case out of L.A. Happened back in March 3rd of 1991. Am I, be, am I the only one in the room that actually remembers that? No, I remember. I remember where I was. I was shooting shooting baskets when all this went down, and my dad came and got me to watch what was going on on TV. I was still a tiny piece of jizz floating around in my dad's body. <laughs> That's a lovely thought. Um, how, old, how, old have, how old would you have been, Bill? I was eight. Okay, I was in high school. Um, that would have been my... Oh, uh, let me think. You were eight? Yeah. So you're only 31? I'm 40. How the fuck, How does that math work? 1991, you were eight. I was born in 1999. So you should, you'd be. I know, I mean, I know, oh, wait, no, I know no, I'm 40. You'd be 16 years older than me. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, brain, brain checks out. moment there for a second. Checks out. <laughs> um, yeah, De- Devin is a college student, but <laughs> sometimes Don't we wouldn't know. Don't tell them that. <laughs> they might think it's like Ivy Tech or something. <laughs> Um, so I was in high school, it would have been my sophomore year, I believe, going into, yeah, into this spring of the sophomore year. And, and what happened, this was sort of the first time, at least that I can remember, where a police brutality incident was caught on film. So, yeah. yeah I, back in the day, this goes all the way, even during... I'm unsure if it is exactly the first one documented on film, but it definitely was one of the first that were, was widely publicized in the media. Well, and, and this is this was back. It, this stuff used to happen all the time, where the L.A. Police Department for years has had helicopters, and anytime there's a chase or something going on, the helicopters up in the air, and it's filming the incident. That's what happened to Rodney King. No, this is a bystander recorded it. It was actually a bystander, and then that forced him to release the video from the helicopter. I've actually looked into this extensively, but it was a bystander who like was driving and pulled over. 
because it was like on the edge of a neighborhood or something. But there was a video captured by the helicopter. Yeah, there, as well. they, they released that after, but the and bystander that, was released first. It, correct, but the the video of the helicopter is one that's really damning. Yeah, it's damning because it catches the whole thing from a top down angle. Yeah, it's a it's a bird's eye view, and as we'll talk about at the end of the podcast, it's current case of Memphis is some very similar um, video type or video quality. But it really shocked the conscience of the nation at that point because they got to see firsthand what can happen on, on a negative side. Uh, there, there was, you know, 81 seconds and a total of 56 uh, clubbings and kickings of Mr. King by just, it, it was brutal. By four different police officers, all white. Um, they were tried in court. But the jury found them not guilty, and I, I think that's just absurd, but it kind of goes to show that the era and the mentality of policing was different. You know, it was kind of common for police to beat your ass, especially if you were doing something then. It was just the, the scale of how four people were beating the shit out of this man on the side of a road. Um, and, I mean, I know he was charged initially, but I think that ended up getting dropped. And so that kind of made the situation worse because it was like he was beaten for no reason. It was kind of like a public lynching. Um, and this led to like terrible riots. Yeah, the, the, it was it was after the trial that there was riots. There was yeah, not guilty. yeah. After he was found not guilty, they had riots, and they did a poll. Fifty-seven percent of people polled believe the verdict was racist, which was finding them not guilty. Forty-five percent of those people were black. I find that to be absurd. That only thirteen percent of white people thought, or twelve percent of white people thought that that was racist. Like, what? It, 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 well, and you have to, the mindset, I, I can remember this distinctly, that, you know, when you watch the video, everybody was like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. And then after the video, you start hearing a lot of the things then that you still hear on a smaller degree now, which was, well, he shouldn't have been resisting. If he wasn't resisting, this wouldn't have happened. smaller degree? I feel like we hear that all the time, especially from an older generation. And it's so ironic, because the older generation is always the type to think that they're all big and tough and this and that, and you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, et cetera, et cetera. There's some situations where that is 100% applicable. Like, why did he run? Why is he resisting, et cetera? Regardless, that does not make it judge, jury, executioner. Okay, he ran away. Big whoop. It's If it's a murder and he just committed an act of murder and he could be on his way to commit another one, a little more understandable, but you're shooting someone in the back. You know what I mean? Especially for a police force that has the capability of hunting them down and tracking them down. They don't want to go through that at, in that moment. Probably a de- deputy that doesn't want to get his ass grilled for not catching the guy. And it just doesn't make them judge jury executioner. But also in that same argument, you know, imagine, say, if you have someone in your family who says, oh, well, they shouldn't have resisted. But imagine them, say, going out to Walmart, getting their groceries, and all of a sudden they're getting fucked with by a cop and the cop's having a bad day. And he starts trying to detain them and putting them on the ground they're going to be convinced they didn't do anything wrong. They probably didn't do anything wrong. And they're going to be really, like, shitty about that, you know. And they're not going to react kindly. Especially a lot of these people that are, like, diehard Republicans. And, you know, they're all, like, agreeing with Trump to overthrow <laughs> the government and things like that. And then you, to, in hand, turn around and say that you're willingly going to comply with government overreach. Which, of course, isn't the government specifically doing it. But it is an agent of the government. Right. You know, a police officer. To say that you allow yourself to just be slammed on the ground, detained, have your whole day fucked up, whatever you were doing is now fucked up, go spend your day in jail, go spend a bunch of money on attorney to get yourself out of this jam, when you didn't do anything, you're going to tell me that you're going to take that kindly. Like, 
some people may if you're a very passive person, but majority of people, especially the ones that were, you know, willing to storm the Capitol and those type of people or wish that they were there, that then turn around and say that they love police and they would abide by police and what they say and just comply and it'll all be over with. I mean, in your head, you've done nothing wrong. Like, why are you even being fucked with? Well, in in the example of Rodney King is, I recall the video, he's on his hands and knees during the most most entirety of the of the uh, beating and then you know they I think they drug tested him he was on some drugs and so they used that as an excuse because you know they're so, supposedly harder to control but there was ample number of officers there to to bring it into whatever they were trying to arrest him for and instead they just continued to beat him beat him beat him to the point he, the, the point he died he wasn't killed dumbass he literally made videos saying or like came on TV saying like hey please let's just get along which honestly I think takes that that's really admirable because after getting my ass whipped by police and they're burning down the city I'd say you know let him eat cake yeah that, that's it. totally my bad forgot forgot he survived the the, the beating uh, but you're right they, there was a massive lawsuit um, the police officers were tried and acquitted. And I think what, what the reaction in L.A. was is, you know, L.A. was considered, for the 1990s, the melting pot of America. It was, you know, a diverse city where, um, you know, L.A. sort of been, I mean, there wasn't such a thing as a progressive movement in the 90s, but it was supposedly cutting edge sort of uh, on politics toward the liberal side of things. And to get a verdict of not guilty, I think, was shocking out of, out of that part of the state, and so I think that's why you saw the reaction you did. Um, this one we haven't written down and talked about a lot, but it reminds me of it, and this is, like, the most egregious case of, like, police brutality that I could ever think of. Like, th- this is the one thing that really, like, solidified it in my mind that we have a severe, inherent problem that is much deeper than it seems on the surface. Do you remember the killing of Elijah Wood? Yeah. That was, like, fucking horrible. Like, you remember the details behind it? Was that the, well, was that the kid that was, that was, was that police? Yeah, no, that was police. Okay, no, I don't remember that. So he, he either had, like, I don't want to say Down syndrome. I think he was, like, highly autistic. And he spent all his time playing the violin and volunteering at a cat shelter. And he was on the way home from a cat shelter. He was walking in, in Aurora, Colorado, I'm fairly certain. Um, they stopped him. And he was just walking with backpack on. He said, sir, like, please leave me alone. Like, I don't want to be bothered, sir. Like, he was being super polite. And they were like, no, we still want to talk to you. And he, he just keeps saying, like, sir, please, like, don't. And they, they start talking to him. And he keeps saying, like, I just want to go home, sir. Like, please, sir. Like, he's being extremely respectful. This, to me, solidifies the fact, like, if a cop wants to beat your ass, it doesn't matter what you say. You know, you could be on your hands and knees praising him like a god. And he's just going to kick you in your face. Um... Because they end up, like, beating the hell out of him. And then this this is what's even crazier to me is they had him in handcuffs. They had him down on the ground, and they told the paramedics that they couldn't get him under control. So the paramedics come and give him a dose of ketamine, which I didn't even, until then, didn't even know that, like, paramedics had on hand. It makes sense why they do. But ketamine is also, like, a hallucinogenic, and it can kind of make you see things that aren't there. And definitely for someone who's, like, freaking out, like, yeah, it can make you tranquilized, but mentally it can, like, freak you out more. And, you know, everybody reacts different to drugs. 
because of him being on his stomach, handcuffed behind his back, he had had his ass whooped. Like, the cop beat the shit out of him. I think there was two of them at this point. And then the paramedic injected him with ketamine. Ended up finding out it was like ten times the normal dose of ketamine that they should have been using. And uh, he died. And his last thing, one of his last words was like, you know, I'm sorry, sir, for bothering you. Like, that was literally his last words was, I'm sorry for bothering you. When he was the one that was stopped. And it just, it's... As, like, unmanly as it may sound, when that happened, like, I genuinely wanted to cry because that is just someone who, like, did not deserve that. And, I mean, I try not to, I, I genuinely feel like police, it's not just a police versus black thing. I feel like it's more of a class war. I feel like the poorer you are, the more likely you are to police to fuck with you and to erode your rights away. But this is one where he was clearly targeted because he was black. Because, I mean, he was super respectful. Right. Well, and, and yeah, there's, and we've talked about this in some other episodes. There's, you know, my experience of getting pulled over in my uh, fancy car is going to be different than the experience of somebody getting pulled over in a 2002 uh, Pontiac Grand Am. I mean, there's a reason why you can't drive through Carmel with a fucked up car. Because you're going to get pulled over on the way in, midway through Carmel, and on the way out. <laughs> well, and uh, there, there's. Definitely some some truth to that, and, and you know, in my experiences uh, as a prosecutor in in, in Carmel and in, in Hamilton County, we saw incidents of that where where people were treated differently, uh, certainly based on their color or the, the type of car they're driving. For sure, there's there's different standards in in, in that regards, and, and you know, <clears throat> this gets a little bit to you know where what do you do about that? What's you know mentality of police? You know, in, in an ideal world, you'd have uh, Probably Mr. Rogers uh, running your police force and have a bunch of Mr. Rogers as police officers. Right. But the, the flip side of that is, too, you know. And th- those people do exist as police. You they do. Mean. But you also have to have the guy that will, you know, if you look at the, what was the recent school shooting down in, in Florida where the police oh. sat for 45 no, minutes? No, that was Texas. That was in Texas. In Texas, it was Texas yeah. yeah. Dude, you got your whole shit fucked up. Yeah, man. well, that, you know, 48. The. That, the school in Texas where the police officer sat there and didn't do anything. So you also have to have that. And there was the cop whose wife was a teacher who texted him, I'm getting shot, and he, like, freaked out and wanted to go in, and they forced him out of the school. Yeah, so you, you have to also have that person that's willing to sacrifice their life because they are a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and, and won't put their own interests first. So it's it's a it's it's a difficult find. Mr. Rogers that is can throw on his Rambo hat is not an easy find. You know, and I, I understand, like, this, this is, it is a big ask to have someone be a public servant of the society and to be super kind on one angle, but be able to flip to a war aspect and basically act like you're putting down insurgency when you're going against a shooter or anything like that. You know, it's, it's a night and day switch, and I understand that's a huge ask. Um, and, and by the way, pay you like forty to $70,000 a year. Well, the, yeah, especially starting out, they do have incentives to make more money in other ways. Like, I know when they check, in, like, new cars or whatever, like, when you're getting it registered, they make, like, right. $1,000 each doing that. I would do that all day on my off time as a cop. Well, you're working, then. You're not, you know, that's, yeah. that's additional work. You're not, they, they work full-time jobs making that salary. Yeah, but so if, I'm, a, if I'm working here making a normal job and I could leave and for three or four hours take home an extra two grand for the day, sign me the fuck up. Point is, though, it's a tough fine. In the, the, yeah. Well, we're starting to see a lot of local law enforcement, especially in the suburbs. You have to have a college degree or you have to be uh, ex-military. 
know, was discharged on a, in a positive way. And so, yeah, I think they, they're trying to make inroads on that, but it's, yeah, it's a difficult hire. And I, I know that, that we have, you know, police officers that listen to our podcast, um, uh, prosecutors that listen to our podcast, you know, on its face, you know, I just to make it easy, you know, I say I don't like police, you know, I don't like prosecutors, but it, it, it's a lot more sophisticated than that. I do truly understand, I do truly think that um, they're not all bad, they're not. But it's really easy to say, oh, well, I didn't commit anything wrong. It's just my colleague. Let me just treat the next few people nicer, and that vindicates that. But it doesn't because you're still turning a blind eye to something. It's kind of like one of those situations where a husband murdered someone and the wife stayed with him. And then everybody, of course, always blames the wife too because it's like, why wouldn't you do something in that situation? In that situation, it's normal to blame the person who didn't do anything. But in this situation, it's kind of like, it's just the excuse of, well, it's a bad apple, not a, a bad core or whatever. But it's like we're seeing so many bad apples that when when does the tree become rotten? When is it that the good apple is the the outlier? You know, because we, right. we see cops doing, like, what they're supposed to do. Is, is that the bar, just doing what you're supposed to do and not doing anything extra? Is that the bar for being a good cop? Or is it going out of your way to be a good citizen and to help other citizens? Pulling over when you see someone stopped on the road... And helping them change their tire. I see cops do that all the time. And, like, you know, I, I I genuinely do recognize that. But I feel like a lot of people think, oh, well, there's just there's more cops who just do their job and that's it. So that goes to show there's more good cops than bad cops. There needs to be good cops actively stamping out the bad cops. The problem, though, and I understand this, is the thin blue line. Not only can it be a... Well, and, and the thin, it, it exists in all professions. Right, but yeah, I, we, I was going to say you could label defense attorneys and think that they're all like, yeah, well, yeah crappy I mean, we, people or whatever. And it, their it, reputation. The lawyers have in their profession a duty to report another lawyer when they do something that's considered unethical to the point that calls into question. There, and I've seen you guys actually report other people, but it's rare, and you don't like doing it. You yeah. don't. I mean, you don't like. We're supposed to report judges when they don't do well, their job that, right, too. That's understand, like, it's not anonymous, though. That's it. That system needs to be changed because then right, you report what, a judge. He knows that you're reporting him. You go see him again, and he fucks your client over, someone who has nothing to do with the whole situation. Right, which is it, it, when you rely on those that are in the same industry to police themselves, It's there's a tremendous amount of peer pressure involved in that that makes it, it, makes it difficult. Well, you know, the thin blue line isn't just a thing from the police protecting themselves against the public and all that, but it's also themselves. You know, if a cop wants to speak out about his colleagues, the thin blue line will crush him, and he could never work again in the profession that right. he probably loves doing. Right. So, you know, it's not it's not just a deferment from everything else going on, but it's also internal structures that they have that makes it harder to do that. And I truly understand that and see that. Um, but I, and, like, and I can speak to that. We, I had a case... Um, can't go into names too much details, but where police officer was, uh, a case was dismissed, civil lawsuit was filed, uh, city settled it, paid client money. Um, police officer doesn't get charged because all the other people around said they didn't see anything. And the only guy that was, uh, I guess, strong enough to testify was one paramedic, and he got fired from his job and had to move out of central Indiana to find a new one. Uh, so that, that's know, why people don't speak out. Right. There, there's internal pressures, there's external pressures. 
So lots of different, lots of different things. Let's let's jump ahead to the. Well, I want to say one more thing, and I, I'd ask Brad or I'd ask Bill this too. Imagine working here, and we were finding out that in Gasper's free time, he was going and curb stomping people's head into the ground, and getting away with it. <laughs> That's After, entirely possible that he could be doing that right now. By the way, I definitely don't. He is in Miami. <laughs> Who knows what's going on down there? Yeah, that could have happened like a couple a, hours ago. Probably beating on a poor Filipino or something. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, I wouldn't want to work here. I would definitely say something internally. You know, these cops could, and it probably just gets brushed under the rug. We don't know what's happening internally. But it's well, yeah, they have whole, whole internal affairs departments are supposed to investigate this. And stuff. it's also, you know, police unions are super strong, and, they, and they're really good at brushing this shit under the rug, too, and getting people that were previously fired back in the force. But, I mean, that, per, like, if, if enough good cops stood up at once and became a unifying effort, shit would change. But I understand you're risking your livelihood. You're risking your income for your family. You're risking the ability to put food on the table. That, that institutions just need to change. Well, like every profession, you know, they become friends with one another. So you're you're maybe having to call your friend to the carpet, right? In, in certain circumstances. But I, but I mean, it's also something like growing up. There's been friend groups, you know, where a guy might rape a girl, right. and the rest of his friend group stay friends with him, and they just don't talk about it. Right, I've always been the friend to call that shit out. Yeah. I don't care how close we are. I find out you rape someone. I find out you're this, you're that, you're this. You do something along the lines of that. I'm a hundred percent calling you out for it. And it's not just I'm a boss, bust your balls for a day, but like I'm gonna damn near terrorize you. Well, that, that the police have to get to that level, I think, to to repair some of that image. Is that and and you know we'll we'll get to the Memphis case, but there's a lot in that arena to talk about. And finally, with prosecutors, you know, you see a lot where prosecutors are like, you see where a cop obviously did something wrong, and the, and it says the district attorney's office declined to press charges. Why is that? Like, I understand you want to protect your officers. The prosecutor wants goodwill between their officers. But, I mean, like, when someone's fucking, like, you are a public servant. Like, honestly, the term public servant, servant in and of itself, you are lower than the general public. You should be considered that, Right. Just that that's the term. Like you are supposed to do the bidding of the public. Now, of course, you started off as catching slaves and protecting businesses and killing strikers so that way they'd go work for the industrial revolution. But that is what it's supposed to look like. And it doesn't become that. You see the normal citizen putting cops above them, saying cops should be able to break these certain laws because they are police officers. So it, it becomes instead of being a public servant, it's more of like an us versus them attitude. And I mean, unsure if I'm actually able to say this, I'll cut it out if not. But we had a situation. Oh boy. <laughs> Hot take incoming. Here comes a nuclear missile. Well, no, it's just something that we've actually been dealing with. Um, you know, Joe had a client, and the cop pulled him over and claimed that the client never turn, used his turn signal. And Joe said the prosecutor, the, like, it's very obvious that he did use the turn signal. You see the dash cam. You see the whole footage. And the prosecutor rebuttaled with, are you saying my officer lied? Well, we're not saying he lied, but they didn't fucking tell the truth. You know what I mean? So why why do you get so defensive when, like, in this aspect, if you're just supposed to be doing your job? Well, if a, a good prosecutor, if you have good video evidence that something didn't go down the way it did, they'll dismiss the case. Yeah. And if it's criminal, they'll charge the they'll charge the officer. I've seen it happen. Rarely, though. I mean, I've seen it happen multiple times in my career. I have, and 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 it could be that the news really singles out people that don't end up getting charged to they stir do, up more public opinion sure. and drama, but, like, it does still happen, and it should not. Well, and one of the things, too, that people may or may not know, a lot of times when police are accused of doing something wrong, sometimes the prosecutor will invoke a grand jury 
and let the grand jury decide whether to file charges. I've always felt that it's a little bit of a scapegoat. Because um, a lot of people really like police. Well, and the way grand juries are, they're completely confidential. The prosecutor gets to present whatever evidence they want to the grand jury and let the grand jury sort of get it through their filter. And so sometimes they don't necessarily get the full picture. I think in an ideal... It's a very biased picture. Yeah, I, I mean, I think in an ideal situation when there's a, a significant um, act of, of possible police misconduct, probably an outside prosecutor from another county should, should be the one making that decision. They want to empower a grand jury, fine, but why not screen it like every other case and just make a decision? And and, and that happens sometimes, especially in smaller smaller jurisdictions. I understand, too, you know, holding police to a higher standard. You know, sometimes police have to get their hands dirty when they're dealing with very big criminals, you know, things like that. Especially and so, people being violent. You know, so you don't want to, like, criminalize every single police officer who ultimately is doing their job and doing good, but... When does too much become too much? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like some people's bar of I can't handle this anymore is way higher than it should be. Well, let's take a look at a couple of the other cases. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit from our original script. Um, next case we'll take a look at is Christopher Harris. In 2009, uh, sheriff's deputy slammed a 29-year-old Caucasian male into a wall for the wrong reason. The deputy, his name is Matthew Paul, thought that Mr. Harris um, was an assault suspect. Yeah, that he, he was wanted for a crime, leaving Harris uh, with life-threatening injuries. Turns out he wasn't the right person. Uh, this happened in uh, King County, resulted in a $425 million lawsuit uh, accusing him of, of excessive force. Um, Christopher Harris ended up being disabled. Permanently, and died six years later. Yeah, and so... You know, that's how you get to that $425 million lawsuit. They settled out of court for $10 million, but, I mean, this dude, he went from having potentially a full life ahead of him to dying in six years and being disabled for the last six years of his life for something he didn't do. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is a this is a good example of, yeah, does, does a civil lawsuit make a difference in that situation? It, yeah, it's just money. Well, it, maybe it makes a difference to the agency, and maybe the agency starts putting more into training. But to the individual officer, not so much. And, and, I, and I think that's where starting to hold them accountable at a criminal level is, is, is what it's ultimately going to take. Yeah, I understand why qualified immunity existed. And I think there was a period for it. And I think that period's gone. Um, I understand why police unions exist. But I think their powers need to be severely curtailed. Um, just... I mean, it's it, you know, it's it's easy to say do the right thing, and if, if that was the case, we wouldn't have criminals, right? And I understand when you're when you're in a criminal world for so long, even if you're combating it, you start to get morphed by those criminal ideologies and start acting like one when that's like your greatest enemy. You know, there's a saying for it that I can't mention, like you become who you're fighting or something like that. All right. You know, it's it's it. There's a huge psychological thing behind it. So, you know, like when on my face I say. I don't like police, but I know it goes way deeper than that. And I don't hate every single cop. You know, like I do notice the cops that have helped me. I've had excellent police officers help me in my life. I've also had some absolute scumbags who thought I was a scumbag off the rip. And so they treated me like one when I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, you know, of course, a lot of people's perspectives are going to be 
like personal, like sure. like what they've dealt with. You know, like the guys being like everything in life. Right. Well, you know, you see the people that are like, oh well, I never had this happen to me with police, so clearly you just need to cooperate. Well, you never had the the right slash wrong cop come fuck with you. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, all of our all of our athletics in Grant County, Indiana, where I grew up, were through the what was called the Police Athletic League, called the Pow Club. Pow Club was like a boys and girls club, but it was it was literally ran by law enforcement. And we played our basketball games there. We played our baseball games there. And one of the one of the longtime police officers that was over the Pow Club. For a good chunk of the time I was a kid, his name was uh, Wayne Ellis, I can remember this day. They would take us on a trip to the Indians game by bus to go. It was always the game where the San Diego chicken was there, the guy in the costume acting, acting a fool but having a lot of fun. And I can remember on the bus ride to the Indians game, um, you know, we, he was dressed in uniform. He had, his, he had his firearm with him. And, you know, we were a bunch of like 10, 12-year-olds, 8-year-olds, whatever, of course, we're fascinated by somebody carrying a gun, so we started asking him lots of questions. I can remember distinctly he was 25 years into his career, and he said, somebody asked him if he'd ever shot somebody, and he said, in my 25 years, I've almost never pulled my gun out on, anybody, on, out even on anybody, and I've never had to shoot somebody. And we were like, well, yeah, but that's weird because you're a cop. He goes, well, if, if policing goes well and you're successful, uh, in your career, it's it's a source of pride to say you never had to use your gun. That sort of was something always stuck in my head is, you know, that's really what a police officer's attitude should be. They should hope they never have to use it, not right. hope they have an opportunity to use it. Exactly. I don't need, I, diffuse situations there's definitely of an escalate. A, I mean, with normal firearm owners, they're like, oh, man, I can't wait till someone breaks in my house so I can shoot them. I'm super guilty of being that guy. But at the same time, it's like I'm, my job isn't to be a peacekeeper. I didn't want to be a peacekeeper. I know I'm not fit for that job. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's just smarter to say this isn't for me instead of making things a lot worse and making your colleagues look worse. And additionally, you know, a whole other psychological aspect that gets put into this is fear. When you're scared, you're more likely to strike, sure. you know. And you can tell in a lot of these cop shootings and situations like that, the cop is fucking terrified. Right. You know, so. Well, let's jump on to, Bill, you tell us a little bit about the Eric Garner uh, situation. This one made the news quite a bit. Yeah, this was a big one back in the day. Yeah, this was the case in New York. A gentleman was selling individual cigarettes or was Suspicious. suspected of doing that by the police, and they came into contact with him. Um, when officers came into contact with him, uh, initially they put their hands on Mr. Garner. Mr. Garner pulls away, and the officer puts Mr. Garner's uh, puts his arm around Garner's neck and wrestles him to the ground. Garner can be uh, heard saying, I can't breathe several times while laying face down, um, was face down for several minutes waiting for an ambulance to arrive. And then he was pronounced dead later at an area hospital about an hour after the fact. And, and you can remember um, the incident where and this is what, the officer had his knee on his neck, right? Yeah, George yeah. Floyd. And, and just the lack of reaction, the lack of... I mean, okay, this guy was selling some cigarettes in the street. Is a that loose a, cigarette is that a death sentence? Yeah, I mean, is that something we need to be super aggressive about? And that, in that case, while well, the police officers fired, the the grand jury um, declined to indict. Declined, declined to indict anybody, and that's he became fired like a year later. And you know what's sad about this is Eric Garner's last words were, "Get away, something, something for what? Every time you see me, you want to mess with me." I'm tired of it. It stops today. Why would you dot, 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 dot. 
Every time, everyone standing here will tell you I didn't do nothing. I didn't. I did not sell nothing because every time you see me, you want to harass me. You want to stop me garbled selling cigarettes. I'm minding my business, officer. I'm minding my business. Please just leave me alone. I told you the last time. Please just leave me alone. And then he was slammed to the ground and into a window. His final words were, I can't breathe. And this became a rallying cry for BLM and protesters after multiple other people had those same final words before the death by police. I feel like it's people's final words that become the match to the riot. Because when you're seeing someone get brutalized and their last words are, please, I can't breathe, or they're crying out for their mother, or they're just crying in general, and they know they're about to die. It's just, it's, for someone that's supposed to be a public servant, like, how, what? Like, the same person that could save you from a house fire is now sitting here killing someone on a street. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it, there's been some just terrible examples. I want to, we're, we're doing decent on time, but I want to spend a healthy amount of time on the Tyree Nichols, the case just out of Memphis, uh, you know, this is still relatively new, uh, freshly happened just a, a few weeks ago. So much, so much to talk about. If you haven't had a chance and, you know, I've seen some people on, on, uh, social media say, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't even watch the video. Well, you know what? You ought to, you ought to watch the video. This is something that we can't bury our head in the yeah, sand don't, over. Don't blind yourself to this stuff. There, the video that you should watch is Privilege is being able to not... No, yeah. not be in that situation. Not will not focus on it and right. it not affect your day ever. And bury your head in the sand. The there's a surveillance. So the in Memphis they have body cameras on everybody. They've taken all the appropriate steps in terms of uh, modern day policing. They also have the street cameras in what are considered higher crime areas. There happens to be one of the police street cameras right on the corner where the second incident occurs. That's the video you, you have to watch. This whole incident starts as a, a routine traffic stop with the Scorpion crime unit. The Scorpion crime unit is a special unit. They are treated differently than all other police officers. They get to wear black hoodies to say police on them. They drive unmarked Dodge Chargers. The entire Scorpion unit, at least that was working on that day, had five years of experience or less. And they start with a traffic stop where if you watch the, you should watch the first part of the video. They get him on the ground. He, I mean, he's not immediately falling to the ground, putting his hands behind his back. But he's not putting up a huge fight. So one of the police officers maces him over and over and over again in his face. But in doing so, he gets mace on several of the other officers that are trying to um, uh, secure him with handcuffs. That results in those officers being sort of incapacitated. And so then he gets up and, and, and he runs. That's what leads to scene number two where he's, he's caught by another group of uh, the special unit or part of this special unit. And then uh, numerous other police officers arrive at the scene. It's at that second uh, scene where the street camera, um, and I don't know if this is an automated system that they have or if somebody's manning the cameras, but the camera actually tilts and pans and catches the entire scene. So you can watch every detail of it. It's 30 minutes long. It's, it's horrific. Uh, there's kicking him in the head. They're hitting him and hitting him repeatedly in the stomach with a, a baton, um, just a repeatedly a complete a complete beatdown, and then there is this terrible fifteen to twenty minutes where he's just left. He's clearly on his stomach, on his chest, hand behind his back, can't support himself. No, periodically they prop him up on the car so it makes it look, I guess, like he's not suffering, and then he'll fall over again. And there's periodic, there's 12 to 14, 
law enforcement people or so or so walking around the scene, none of them paying attention to him. It's about 28 minutes into that before the EMTs finally start giving him care. And then, as we'll talk about, how the EMTs reacted was with zero urgency, and they left him uh, sitting there for quite a while. And now we've seen, uh, I believe at this point, six of the officers have been charged, uh, mostly with secondary murder. The EMTs are now getting um, losing their job for not responding in a, in a quick enough fashion. This is what I think, I hope, will start making a difference in how it other will. police officers will look at it. Well, this is why it this will. one's this one's this is why this one's different though, Devin. The police officers that didn't actually engage in the beating, but that sat there and didn't stop it, are being charged this time. Yeah, they should be. Yeah, but that's not happened in, in the past. That has not happened in the past. Uh, I feel like that happened in the Derek Chauvin case. I think dude just ended up getting off of it. I think his supervisor that watched it happen got charged. This is just the regular old officers, not people that were in a superior to them. What the what the people in Memphis are said, or what the prosecutor in Memphis has said, if you're a police officer and you sit and watch somebody else be beat to death, and you're supposed to be protecting people, then you're going to be held at a criminal level too. You know, and unfortunately, this also does kind of make them attack each other as well. We saw last year in Florida, this uh, officer, there's this combative suspect. He finally gets him handcuffed, puts him in the cop car, and he starts, like, kind of, like, grabbing him and throwing him around a little bit. And the female officer comes behind him and says, like, sir, stop, 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 and, like, grabs him by his belt and, like, kind of pulls him backwards. And because of that, the cop turns around and starts choking her. Another cop choking another cop. And he did end up getting fired for that. And I think he got assault charges or battery charges. Um, but, it, you know, this just because you stood up for another suspect rights, who honestly did probably do something wrong, this became a big thing. And now you're, like, in the media and this and that. And you know, it, it, it's also the situation, you know, I understand why body cameras exist so that way we can get a better idea of going on. But it's also the aspect of, like, if they have a body camera, they are less willing to do something fucked up. Like, obviously, most people... Didn't apply to... for Mr. Nichols. Yeah, it, it, it's there's still some police that don't give a shit. Or they forget that they have a body camera on. But you know, we shouldn't have this mentality. And, of course, it's easier. It, when you're being recorded, it's always easier to do the right thing when you know you're being watched. But it comes down to really training. Cops spend all their time training to shoot... To escalate and de or de-escalate mostly, to shoot, train, all that, protect themselves, they should, right? I, I believe they should. I, I think they should have more training on that. But I think they should have recurrent training of, like, remembering who it is we serve. Because, I mean, even, even in, as a criminal defense attorney, you get numb to this shit. People are constantly dumping their worst days ever on you in the worst periods of their life. And, you know, you can deal with these people with a straight face even though they're going through the worst period of their life because you're just numb to it. And I understand, you know, you've been dealing with super combative people for like two weeks, and then the next guy you meet who isn't combative, but you expect him to be, so now you're instantly combative and you're gung-ho on him. I understand that that happens. It's, it just takes a lot of constant self-reflection. And there's, unfortunately, especially what we see in the firm, specific people just aren't capable of doing that. Like, well, it's, it's just not, they can't yeah, do that. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to always keep your cool. Well, it's also hard to, you know, sit down and realize you were wrong. Yeah. Yeah, that too. So I think also what I want to talk about is this proactive policing, the Scorpion unit. It's probably doubly right. hard to have perspective when your job is really to be aggressive and go find crime rather than 
you know, have right. it be reported and respond to runs. They're out looking for stuff. Um, this was this started off as a reckless driving investigation, right? right? right. And then it just went south from there. Right. But, but that's that I think is their and I don't you know, I well, can't speak for them obviously, but it is their mindset to be aggressive because that's what they that. do. Well what's what is a scorpion? Yeah, it's a right? poisonous, a severely poisonous. <laughs> it can kill someone insect. Yeah. with its strike, right? Uh, when I was a prosecutor in Marion County, we had a, a, a um, supposedly community policing uh, unit called, uh, or they labeled specific individuals vipers. So they were community members. They were they were in, put into the viper category. Yeah. What's what's a viper? Poisonous snake that strikes snake. fast. Right. <laughs> There is a, a the drug enforcement team is called the strike unit. Um, I understand well, the proactive the, policing. I understand one hundred percent, but it should be. How about the peace unit? Right. Right. <laughs> Why are we calling them the the scorpion? It's immediately it, it's sort of building the culture and even encouraging the, the culture of striking. And so they could dress a certain way if right. they're in this unit. Hoodies. Black hoodies. So they kind of look like badasses walking right. around, right? So that's the mindset they have going into this reckless driving investigation. Right, and then unmarked chargers. So yep. now, you, you know, think about that, you're, you know, especially if you're a black male who's grown up around. And you're scared of police. police. Yeah, you have a, a, a natural and, and, and earned. Uh, a justifiable fear. Yeah, of, of police. And now you're pulled over in some in a car that doesn't necessarily is it a model of police car? Yes, but it's not marked like a police car. And the guy that's getting out to stop you has a black hoodie on that just has the word police on it. I mean, I'm not fucking believing that. Well, you can buy T-shirts to say FBI. I have a I have a, I have a <laughs> New York City Police Department beanie. Right, right. <laughs> so and this and you know I, I'll give the chief a ton of credit. She was very aggressive in taking disciplinary action. She didn't say we're going to do this. Thorough investigation. We got on tape. What do we need to investigate? Right. She immediately disbanded the unit. Uh, it's no longer in existence. And the prosecutor has done a pretty good job of, of immediately holding the police accountable with criminal charges. That's the approach I think that needs to be taken, when, especially yeah. if something's on camera and, and can be seen. We don't need to have a thorough... Now, of course, it, it's not... It, they haven't been acquitted yet. We could say... We could commend these people and they end up getting convicted. Acquitted. Or acquitted. Or acquitted, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they do end up getting convicted and it's not a bullshit charge where they just spend like a year or something in jail. You know, like, as of right now, I feel like they're doing all the right steps. Well, the, the thing that's different about the Memphis one that I like, they're treating the police officers that committed crimes just like they would anybody any, else. Any other, anybody else, yeah. If you see somebody beat the shit out of somebody and they end up dying, they don't have internal affairs come and do a separate investigation to decide. It's right there. It's on tape. Yeah, and you, you don't have a whole union coming to your side to describe why you killed the person. Yeah, treat them like they would anybody else that beat somebody to death. That's what you should do. And she, to their credit, both the prosecutor and the police, they've done that. They've, they've treated them like another any other criminal suspect would, would be treated. And I think if the police start realizing your actions could result in this type of um, reaction, it, it hopefully, I mean, and what open all law enforcement, people take some time to reflect before they act like that. And this, but on the front side of this, we have to stop labeling things as a scorpion unit. Yeah. And the, the acronym scorpion actually stood for something relatively positive, but don't use an acronym. Nobody knows that. Right. We're not here talking about yeah. those words. It's We're talking about scorpion unit. want to be a badass. Yeah. It's like, it like stood for something like serving community, uh, you know, something like that. Right. Uh, and it, it, so the acronym was probably... But if you give it an animal that's venomous and, and known to 
be lethal. Right. You're building a, a just a, such a negative environment that isn't necessary. Now, Brad does have a lot of stuff to do today, and he's getting a little antsy. So I can finish this out if you need to go. It's 11.15. I promise I'll keep it tame. No, I mean, I think we're, we're, to, we're to close to I, wrapping I wanted, up to, I wanted to hit on something, though. I definitely do understand um, proactive policing. Because if you're only policing after things happen, are you really preventing crime? Not really. But, you know, as someone who has been around plenty of crime, I feel like it's not that hard to find. I've never had to go harass someone on the street to find yeah, a criminal. Proactive policing can be done peacefully. But what they do is they, they go undercover in a blacked-out charger, blacked-out windows that's huge as shit, and because it doesn't have lights on it, they think they're undercover. What dumbass doesn't know that's a cop car? Right. Even if it's not a cop car, they think it's a cop car, and they're right. not going to do something illegal in front of it. Pull up. You still use all tents for sure, but pull up in a freaking 2015 gray Nissan Altima, and you'll see some <laughs> shit happen because nobody thinks you're a cop. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's or like like a Kia Nero. Right. That'd be yeah, a good one. yeah, there you go. The Kia Banging Nero. on Gasper. <laughs> yeah, you got you got a nice uh, hybrid. You're right. If you want to just mix into the community and try to do proactive policing, yeah, just you need to blend in. Act like a normal a normal Chargers, ain't it? Yeah, a normal person and interact with the community members and you know, that's that's what I think that getting out there and establishing those relationships in the community is where the positive side can be and, and a lot of police officers are doing that. We don't want to make this a bashing of, of police officers, but you know, taking these proactive groups and giving them you know hostile animal names is just not. You know, I, I'm embarrassed by the fact that we used to label people viper. Uh, you know, they're still human, and you know, let's try to prevent the crime. Let's not give people a name that encourages encourages bad behavior, encourages people to act in an animalistic way. You know, and, and as I've said, that I don't like police. It's not that that would always be a thing. I don't like our current iteration of police. I just don't. I feel. I wish I could like it. I, I wish I could like all of them. I hope it becomes a point where I see yeah, it's every acceptable though. enough as I could like it, it. Or, or at least be able to obviously tell, like, oh, there's some bad apples. But, you know, when, when like Aurora, uh, Aurora Police Department, uh, you can keep arguing for them that it's just a few bad apples. But so much shit comes out of their department of what they're fucking up and doing to people like every two or three months. When does it become that the entire seed and core is rotten? Systemic and not just uh, an uh, individual uh, cop. Episode. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, again, that's where you got to hope some of these police departments that are taking more proactive, reactive measures that don't drag on for months are, are, are doing it the right way. So. Well, folks, that is going to be a wrap for us today. We thank you for joining us on another episode of Pocket Law Talks. Please share, like, and spread the word, the love for our uh, podcast. We appreciate that. And uh, we'll join you again next time.